Sound like the usual mindless, boring, getting to know you chit chat. Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 114, coming at you on a Good Friday Follower Friday edition of the program. The content onslaught continues here at the Green Insiders. We welcome to the program Nathan Sprague from Compute North. He's Director of Origination for the blockchain crypto mining company. And the, what they're doing in the data center space is truly remarkable. And we're going to hear about what Compute North has done in the last five years. Stay tuned for that. And of course, also too, they are a proud new NAMA member and they'll be at the NAMA conference next week. So we're going to get to meet them in person. But before we hear from Nathan Sprague and what Compute North is doing in the data center space, let's hear from our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you what it is we do here at eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know going green is important to your business and your ESG rating. Besides offering PPAs and VPPAs, through our network of clean energy professionals, we can also offer renewable natural gas, or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates. Your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. As always, you can find out more about the company over at eRenewable.com and on our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast, so that you too, like Mr. Nathan Sprague and Compute North, can be a Follower Friday member. All right, let's get right down to it with Mr. Nathan Sprague, Director of Origination for Compute North, talking all things data centers, how their tier zero approach has revolutionized the way data centers are built, the modular approach, as well as the benefits of when a Compute North project comes to your town. Because a lot of times it's in a town that, well, there's not a lot around. But a lot of good stuff from one Mr. Nathan Sprague. You will not be disappointed. Here is Nathan Sprague, Director of Origination from Compute North. Thanks for having me. My name is Nathan Sprague. I'm the Director of Origination at Compute North. Compute North is a at our core a, a data infrastructure development and management company. Think of it as, uh, if we could make an analogy to commercial real estate, we are building properties, we are the property management company. So we are designing, building, operating, managing, maintaining this infrastructure. And we allow uh, customers uh, who are our clients to ultimately come in and plug and play and operate their machines, their equipments, their servers inside of our facilities. So. Uh, in a nutshell, we build and manage uh, some very unique what we what we consider and call uh, tier zero infrastructure. Yeah, so tier zero was really coined by our co-founders PJ Lee and Dave Perrell back in 2017. So if you're familiar at all with the data center space, you, you might typically hear tier three, tier four type data centers which is kind of traditionally when people think of data centers, that's kind of what they think of. And for example, a tier four data center is essentially a data center that for all intents and purposes provides 100% uptime to whoever their customers are operating within the data center. So there's all sorts of you know backup redundancies and backup generators to essentially ensure that power will be there and the data center will be operational 24-7 without interruption. So... Compute North and the Tier Zero model 
as I mentioned, PJ Lee and, and Dave Farrell coined that phrase. It wasn't really a thing until they made it a thing uh, a few years ago, but tier zero is on the polar opposite end of that spectrum. So rather than providing 100% uptime and all these redundancies, that comes with a lot of additional capital costs. So the cost to build out those traditional data centers, like a tier four data center, is you know many multiples more than what it costs to build our facilities. Our facilities are modular, containerized facilities that look a lot like battery storage projects where you've got essentially a shipping container that's been fabricated and modified that sits on a concrete pad mount. It utilizes air cooling, cooling technology. So on one side, you've got air intake fan blades with an air filtration system. On the other side, you've got induced draft fans that sucks cool air through that container to the tune of about a million cubic feet per minute and uh, keeps all those servers cool and, and uh, efficient. You know, the big differentiator as well, not only in the you know design and structure of what the facilities look like, but is uptime. So we provide our customers 95% uptime and they have to be comfortable with the fact that, you know, we can shut them off and curtail and interrupt their operations at any point in time. So our customers are executing what we would consider non-mission critical computing tasks. So it's anything that is not time sensitive and has to be performed in real time. Bitcoin mining or cryptocurrency mining is a perfect example of that. Bitcoin miners don't care whether they're mining Bitcoin at two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the afternoon on a hot summer day when the, the grid might be you know, at peak system conditions. We can curtail them, shut them down. If they are guaranteed a certain amount of uptime that they're happy with, they're really agnostic in terms of you know, when specifically we might be curtailing and interrupting that operation. So that that's kind of the, the crux of the tier zero model is that it operates at a much lower cost. It's also uh, a much cheaper cost to build from a CapEx perspective up front, but also the interruptibility. That's the big differentiator. One of the things I noticed, too, is like, you know, you got this project going on, what, in, in uh, what, Granbury, Texas, and I saw that yeah. when you guys were based at, you, you guys are using, like, in existing infrastructure in a lot of cases, right? I mean, you're, and maybe this is a project that's already been done, but the one uh, that's in, a, in an old airplane hangar. A little bit about what that means when you're talking about a 300-megawatt system and, you know, the fact that, like you said already, the fact that you've got interruptibility, but at the same time, too, you guys are using a very sustainable model as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the the airplane hangar project you mentioned was one of our first projects and moving forward, that's not typical of what our, our projects look like. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as of call it last year and moving forward, um, our projects utilize the, the containerized modular um, structures. So that airport hangar is a, was kind of a one-off in the early days, but. Ah, okay. The, all right. All right. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. But yeah, our, our new projects do utilize the modular containerized uh, structure. That one you referred to in Granbury is one of our, what we call co-location sites. So that site physically sits behind the meter of an existing generator. So we are behind the meter and you know physically taking electrons directly off that plant, uh, essentially in sort of like a, a large scale net metering situation on the grid. I mean, when you talk about the interruptibility, what, did you guys find when you when you looked into this that not everybody needed that 100%? I mean, I guess there's going to be a large swath of folks that do, but uh, were you surprised? Was it not everybody needed 100% uptime? Yeah, exactly. And maybe 
it would help to kind of back up and just give a quick history of Compute North. So yep. as I mentioned, Compute North was founded or co-founded, I should say, by PJ Lee and Dave Perrell. PJ had over 30 years of private equity experience, mainly in developing large-scale renewable projects. So very familiar with renewable project development and wholesale power markets. Dave, on the other hand, had about 25 years of data center operations and infrastructure development experience. So they married their expertise together to form Compute North. From that, Compute North was, was born and has been growing ever since. But in the early days, their initial mission was to operate as a self-mining cryptocurrency mining company. And they quickly realized that there was a niche to serve as an infrastructure developer and host and not provide your own mining equipment, but instead allow other large commercial corporate well-capitalized companies bring in their mining equipment and plug and play into the Compute North facilities under a hosting model. I'm always fascinated so, by the companies that make those kind of pivots, right? Is that they go in with an initial idea and then they, you know, adhere to the market. And that's obviously what, what Compute North did. How long were they in, how long were y'all in the game before you kind of made that decision? Okay, we're going to expand this product offering or, or welcome in more folks that, like you said, are, are, are very well capitalized. I think it was a matter of months. It was not long. Yeah. And part of it too is looking at the vast difference in cost between what it takes to build the infrastructure that we build and manage versus the cost of the servers or mining equipment. You know, oftentimes, if you look at it on a, on a per megawatt basis, you know, one of our containers, uh, which is roughly two megawatts worth of power consumption, contains about $5 million worth of mining equipment or servers, if you will, whereas it only cost us roughly a few hundred thousand dollars on a per megawatt basis to develop that. So the, the mining equipment and the capital requirements to kind of be vertically integrated as a developer and miner are very cost intensive versus just a, a developer and a host. You know, we could spread our capital across a number of projects uh, a little more thinly. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, kind of allow those more experienced and well-capitalized commercial uh, grade type investors come in and, and bring their equipment and plug and play and operate inside of our facilities. So I got to ask then, when did the idea to go modular and start using the, the, that design come into play? Was that kind of the same, that few months in where you realize, okay, maybe the airplane hangar seems, it, it look, and it, trust me, it looks cool. And I'm, I'm a former Navy guy, so I can appreciate an airplane hangar all day, every day. When did the modular idea come into effect? Yeah, I think that um, went in parallel with the, the tier zero model. So I think it was pretty early on when, when they realized that, you know, there's an entirely different subset of customers and client base who don't necessarily need that 100% uptime and all that reliability. Um, and, it, and it goes beyond just potential for blockchain and cryptocurrency mining. We're looking at customers who can do things uh, along the lines of uh, AI machine learning, types of things it could be graphic rendering. We've had companies talking about doing some biomedical like protein synthesis modeling, but essentially, as I mentioned, anything that's not time sensitive, it's stuff that needs to get done, but it doesn't necessarily have to be done 24 seven in real time. So that was kind of part of what led them to design our facilities the way they are with the modular containerized structure. Not only are we offering lower uptime and flexibility and interruptibility, 
you know, because of that structure, both the, the physical design structure and from an energy market perspective, we're able to keep our costs down very, very low. Uh, so our operating expenses and, and capital expenses to own and operate these facilities are significantly less than what you would find at a tier four data center. I would imagine too, just the fact that again, they are modular. Now, do you guys build those? I mean, and I know you guys are based out of Minnesota. So do you guys build those on site in Minnesota or do you build them on site at the uh, location they're going to? And I'd imagine that they're easily deployable because like I said, you're talking about containers, which, you know, like I said, it's obviously easier to move a container than, you know, sit there in one place and, and build from the ground up. Yep. Yeah, we actually have a strategic partnership with a manufacturer who makes those on our behalf. Okay. Um, so, so they make those offsite and ship them to our facilities. So, they're 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 ready to go and, and plug and play when they arrive. Outstanding. And so, with the Granberry project, you just broke ground on it. From the modular standpoint, I'm guessing, how much time are you going to save getting that thing rocking and rolling versus what it would take if it was it was an actual old school, you know, tier four project, for uh, for instance. Yeah, you, you look at the timeline of building our facilities with the modular modular containerized structure versus an actual building with four walls and air conditioning systems and all those things. Our projects, even for large projects like the project in Granbury, can be built in you know a matter of weeks and and a few months and not necessarily months and years. So you know it's it's rather simple from a design and construction standpoint. You're talking about clearing some dirt and, and and pouring gravel pads, running conduit, pouring concrete pads, putting the, the containers on those concrete pads. We've got pad mount transformers uh, that are stepping voltages down to the appropriate levels at each container, wiring the containers, and then uh, it's a matter of plugging in the customer's equipment and you're off and running. So the timeline to design, build, and construct is a fraction of what it would be compared to a traditional data center. And just the capital that you're saving doing that uh, is probably worth its weight in gold, obviously. Yep, exactly. Yep. So when we and we will save you from getting into the weeds on the blockchain, crypto, you know, innuendos and what have you. But from the space itself, how have you guys, because let's call it what it is, whether you're into blockchain, whether you're not, it is a very viable player in 2022, no matter what space you're in. How have you guys been able to navigate through that space and become a key player in the data center and just in the overall blockchain crypto side of things when it comes to kind of, like I said, the powering side of things, the mining part? I think the biggest thing that differentiates us is just, frankly, our ability to execute. There are a lot of players in this in this space that, you know, have big ideas to develop projects, uh, whether they're, you know, interested in kind of a self-mining type of role where they're more vertically integrated in, in building out the infrastructure and operating their own kind of self-mining operation. You know, maybe they're a developer and host more like we are or, or whatever kind of combination of those things it might be. But I think a lot of folks have realized that it's incredibly difficult to make these projects work from from start to finish when you look at you know, finding a, a, a viable site with a power supply opportunity that, that's at a competitive rate. I mean, just the, the power supply piece of it alone, you know, putting all those commercial terms in place and, you know, checking all the necessary boxes and permitting and all that alone is uh, a pretty monumental task. And then you, you know, bring in the, you know, kind of EPC design, build, uh, development piece of this. That also takes a, a lot of experience and a number of resources uh, both from a human capital and and you know monetary capital perspective, 
I think a lot of our competitors have realized that it's just incredibly difficult to get these projects off the ground, especially at scale. It takes a, a large team with a lot of experience and, you know, that's something we're proud to offer. And uh, I think that's a big part of what's differentiated us in the marketplace is our ability to, you know, not just talk the talk on what we hope to do, but to actually be able to execute and provide that. One thing we do know about data centers is they do require a lot of uh, power. You know, how's Compute North been kind of welcomed and or accepted or looked at by the energy community? Yeah, for the most part, it's been, I would say, largely open arms. When you talk to utilities, many of them uh, are a little skeptical about what you're what you're trying to do. And, you know, a lot of times when they hear data center, they kind of think of that tier four kind of traditional data center. But once they start to understand how much flexibility we have in our operation and, and kind of the net impact that our facility and project will have on their system, uh, they quickly kind of warm up to the idea. So for the most part, it's been great. You know, we've, we've spoken with a lot of utilities and IPPs and developers who are now really warming up to the idea of, you know, inviting someone like us onto their sites, onto their system to build these projects, uh, especially from a renewable standpoint, as we look at renewable projects, one of the things you mentioned our project in Granbury, that's, as I mentioned, what we would consider a co-location site where we're physically behind the meter at a generator. When we look at this at a renewable site, the renewable developers quickly realize the the positive impacts that we can provide by siting uh, behind the meter directly on their generation system. From a standpoint of alleviating congestion and you know minimizing curtailments, you might look at a, a wind farm, for example, that has you know a certain percentage of curtailment where there's periods throughout the year or every week or month where the grid operator is backing their system down from what it could be generating because of congestion constraints on the system. So they're being curtailed. They're not able to sell that energy into the grid or to whoever their off-taker might be. But by us building a project on their site behind the meter, we're immediately taking all of that energy. So they, they no longer face the issue of curtailments but also by having our load physically there, it's also fundamentally helping to essentially boost LMPs at that location and help provide them or others in that region a more premium price for that energy. So we also feel, especially as it pertains to renewables, that uh, our projects can almost provide a natural subsidy uh, of sorts to help incentivize existing renewables that may be struggling to make the economics work, but also incentivize uh, the future development of new renewable projects. Do you guys strictly use renewables? Not strictly. Uh, we currently have a mix. Okay. Um, you know, we, we try and incorporate as many renewables as we can into our projects. Uh, but we do have uh, a number of sites that are either just pure, what we'd call grid connected, uh, that's not, you know, at a specific sure. source, or the project you mentioned in Granbury, that's behind the meter at a combined cycle natural gas facility. You know, I mentioned the the benefits that our projects can provide to like renewable generators by by a co-location sort of structure where we build behind the meter. But even as we look at, you know, just a grid connected site working directly with a utility or in a deregulated retail market like ERCOT on just a grid connected site, you know, if you look at 
either a, a utility or just a broader RTO market in general, if you look at their kind of load duration curve, which shows the amount of energy they're using as a percentage of time throughout the year, most utilities or markets have round about, call it 60% load factor, meaning their average load is roughly 60% of what their total peak demand is. And if you look at kind of the tail end of that load duration curve, most utilities or markets have roughly 20 to 25% of their capacity that's only used less than 5% of the time. So when we look at adding our facilities and projects to those systems and providing 5% interruptibility, meaning we'll never be online and operating during those peak 5% of the hours, the, the net effect is that we've added a lot of incremental megawatt hours and energy sales to that system without adding a single incremental megawatt of capacity requirements. So if we can size a project optimally, we can take a utilities load factor from 60% to around 80%. So you're talking about um, spreading all your fixed cost, capacity cost as a utility or market in general across a lot more megawatt hours. So the, the impacts are ultimately, you know, lowering your all-in levelized cost of energy, uh, just more megawatt hour sales per, you know, the same unit of, of fixed costs. So helping utilities and, and markets realize uh, the tremendous impacts of raising their load factors and what that will do for uh, the system and their rates is great. But additionally, if you look at from a curtailment perspective compared to peaking generation, oftentimes it is much cheaper to pay someone like us to bring our facilities down and curtail us during extreme peak periods than it is to bring on that tail end of your, your highest price, most expensive peaking generation. So from a demand response perspective, um, you know, you're, you're providing additional benefit to the grid by bringing our load offline in lieu of bringing a, a costly, expensive peaking generator online. That, I'll tell and you then, what, that's tremendous. Yeah, and then I think lastly, just to, to kind of plug our community benefits, you know, beyond the benefits we just discussed about, uh, you know, that our projects provide to, the, the grid or, you know, kind of providing a natural subsidy of sorts to renewable projects, but the community benefits are also rather substantial. Um, you know, in, a, in addition to the obvious tax revenue uh, that we're providing in these communities, uh, we also bring uh, good job opportunities. So for our facilities, we're typically looking to hire one employee, full-time employee with a, uh, a good paying skilled position for every 10 megawatts. So that 300 megawatt project you were talking about in Granbury uh, that just got energized there a couple weeks ago, you're looking at 30 to 40 full-time employees that we're hiring locally. We're not, we're not bringing in our staff from outside. We're looking to hire local skilled workers, train them up in our facilities, and they're going to manage that facility from a, you know, security and operations troubleshooting management perspective, 24 seven. So, you know, the, the economic benefit that that provides to a, a local community is is pretty tremendous, especially when you consider the fact that a lot of our sites are in rather remote locations. Uh, you know, we don't have to build these 
in large metropolitan areas. We can find a spot in the middle of nowhere where we can, the climatology details work, but also can offer us low cost of power. And uh, oftentimes that's in a you know small rural community. So adding 30 to 40 you know, good paying full-time big new deal. jobs to that community. Absolutely. It's a big deal. So that's something we're, we're very proud of too. Beyond just the, the positive benefits that our projects provide to the grid, there's also a great economic and community benefit story to that as well. Absolutely. You guys kind of got like the, uh, the triple threat going on as far as uh, the benefits yeah. going on at Compute North. I like it. Uh, we'll start winding this thing down for you. You guys are the first mining crypto blockchain style data center that has joined the North American Energy Markets Association. I know uh, from talking to Tim Berrigan, he was very excited about you guys joining the group. Uh, what was it about NEMA that was so um, you know interesting and, and, and a need for you guys to jump on board? For me personally, I had about roughly 10 years of experience in the, in the past with a prior employer. Uh, we were a part of NEMA, so I was very familiar with the organization, knew that you know NEMA offered uh, access to uh, the biggest and best players in the utility and IPP renewable development energy marketing space. So um, I kind of had it in my mind to hope to connect to that group and that membership and organization uh, when I joined the team here at Compute North. But yeah, I mean, we just see so many synergies between obviously what we're doing and those types of folks, uh, it seemed like a, a perfect marriage to to get involved. And I know Tim has expressed a lot of interest and excitement in having us join, but we've had a great experience so far. I mean, when we joined, uh, we had a number of groups reach out and uh, introduce themselves. We've made a number of good contacts already. Uh, so we've been thrilled to be a part of the group already in just a few short months. We got the Granberry project that's going on right now. What's kind of on tap for the rest of 2022 for Compute North? Yeah, that's just one of several. So uh, 2022, we should see uh, an increase in our online capacity uh, by about tenfold. So we've got uh, roughly 140 megawatts online and operational today. By the end of this calendar year, we should have over a gigawatt online and operational. So we've got that site at Granbury that's roughly 300 megawatts. Uh, we've got another uh, co-located site at a wind farm that'll be several hundred megawatts. Uh, also uh, in the in the ERCOT. Uh, RTO market. We've got another one in ERCOT that is a grid connected site that's several hundred megawatts. Uh, and then we've got a handful of others that are uh, kind of late stage uh, due diligence that we feel confident could be online here before the end of the year. But uh, when it's all said and done, we should have uh, roughly over a gigawatt uh, live and energized by the end of this year. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Nathan Sprague. You can find all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and over at eRenewable.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we know there's a lot of you do. Give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we know you learned a lot more about renewable energy and the energy transition from the podcast than you knew about it before you stopped by. As always, huge shout-out to all the NEMA members, Tim Berrigan and his entire crew over there, Steve Shepard as well as Donna Foy. We're going to have a great time next week at the NEMA conference. Also, to the U of H part seven and eight come down next week very excited about that we've got two tremendous young men that we're going to be hearing from and of course as always shout out to my co-host miss afria nasir for her hard work on this project finally shout out goes to the e-renewable team and mike roger al the audience the guests you guys know the drill without you doing what you do we couldn't do what we do this has been the green insider podcast powered by e-renewable have a good Friday. Happy Easter. God bless each and every one of you. Don't forget, we make going green easier.